Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. I'm H.A. Conrad, here as always with my marvelous co-host, Ali Matu. Hello, Ali. How's it going, Conrad? Good. We are on episode 72, which means we are talking about MI5, Mission Impossible, Film 5, Rogue Nation. Um, And what do we have today in the crossover chamber? Ooh, it's a very IMF-centric crossover chamber today. We are crossing over Rogue Nation versus the previous entry in the Mission Impossible franchise, Ghost Protocol. And what's the question? Question's going to be, we're looking at what's the best entry into the Mission Impossible franchise. Is it Rogue Nation or is it Ghost Protocol? We will find out in this epic crossover today. What's on our top five, Conrad? Top five today are top five rogues. Ooh, I'm interested to hear how you define that. We didn't really give each other much more instruction than that. So No, it should be that, pretty funny. That'll be funny. <laughs> and, you know, so we were talking, and this is going to be a very uh, non-spoilery discussion. I don't really think the plot matters too much <laughs> here mm. in this No, discussion. I'd agree with you. I'd agree with you. But one thing I w- I'm curious about, um, and one of the things I love doing on this podcast, Conrad, is we get to talk about these big franchises. Because if you do a podcast long enough, you end up diving into lots of different franchises because new entries keep coming along. What's your relationship with the Mission Impossible franchise? Well, I mean, I watched, you know, my sister and I were a fan of the shows because they were on like Nick at Night or I think they were Nick at Night anyway, or something like that. I know we watched it on on TV Land or something like that, maybe. Yeah, the original Um, show. Yeah, on repeat. Um, And of course, those were fun shows as always. Um, You know, we were big MacGyver type fans. So anything to do with spies, that was kind of fun. And, you know, she put on her tangerine lipstick was always a fun thing. (laughs) Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, in any case, like, so when these first movies came out and were rebooted, I was pretty happy. I've always been a big fan. They're set pieces. They're fun. They're definitely big summer action films. Um, admittedly, and you and I have talked about this. I am a bit conflicted about Tom Cruise as an actor, but I try to get over it a little bit for these films. It's a weird thing. I've seen other people talk about the issues going on with Tom Cruise in his personal life, and you and I have discussed a few times. Um, Most recently on our Edge of Tomorrow discussion last... Well, most recently. That was like a year ago. Yeah, but I mean... But he's definitely part of the franchise. He's a big part of why it's been successful... Um, there was the producer. He was right. on the original. He's kind of one of the reasons why Paramount went back and said, OK, let's let's turn this TV show into a franchise. Or right. A film franchise. Yeah. And, and you know, this is the thing, as I said, big set pieces, um, lots of like crazy sorts of stunts. And Tom Cruise has become very well known for the fact that he does these massive, crazy stunts. On his own, um, he's not having a double in there, so that just adds to the, you know, a bit of the daring, I think, of the the film franchise. Um, I, you know, I enjoy seeing them as like summer films. Some have been a little bit stronger than others. Um, I did think that part of the fun of seeing this particular installment was the fact that I got to see this with you and Bill and your your lovely wife. So. That yeah, that's right. We, we finally got to see a film together. I don't think that's that's ever really happened. So that that was a lot of fun. Um, I, I I think that's the the most fun 
part of this <laughs> franchise is is just seeing the movies in the in the theater. They're always a nice, fun popcorn spectacle. Uh, I I loved the original show as well. I watched that really regularly with my dad. I love that theme song. It's mm-hmm. such a great iconic uh, theme song the from the original TV show, and uh, the the movies I've really enjoyed all of them. Um, uh, when the original came out, I remember seeing that with my dad. We were really excited to go check that out. And then the second one, I saw that with my buddies and um, from school, and we thought that movie was so awesome. Like when he, the, the motorcycle scene, um, when they like ride their bikes to each other, and then when Tom Cruise somehow like kicks up the gun on the beach yep. to take out the bad guy. It makes no sense, but it's awesome. And all of the films have had at least one really iconic set piece. Mm-hmm. It usually happens during a heist sequence. And the best, I think, remains the original set piece when he's uh, when Tom Cruise's character is hanging on those high wires. Yep. And that's just so suspenseful. So I think this has kind of been the American answer to James Bond and uh, it's Ethan Hunt and the character of Tom Cruise are so well tied together. And they've always been a lot of fun, I would say. Even at their worst, they're still fun films. So I, and, and I'd also like to say, like, every single installment has had a different director. Yeah. Which so has that's been, been kind of interesting to see everybody's vision about what Mission Impossible is to them. Yeah, we've seen such different visions. Yes. Like, I mean, with each one, um, Brian Day Palma gave us a very much more of a kind of a, in the original, uh, like a kind of a mystery, find this mole who done it kind of thing. Um, John Woo's Mission Impossible Two is this very stylized action. J.J. Abrams. Don't forget about the doves in that one. <laughs> oh, the doves! Yes, <laughs> there's like in the. Uh, when when our two leads like they get locked in this car turning around sequence, kind of dancing in the street. There's a lot of stylized stuff going to that going on in that film. I'm a big fan of J.J. Abrams' Mission Impossible Three, mm-hmm. the one that most underperformed. But I, I I thought it had some really great moments. I think it has the best villain. Yeah, uh, I agree. The, the late female female uh, Philip. Seymour Hoffman, um, he, he had the really only memorable villain, I would say, in this whole franchise. Agreed. And then Brad Bird's we're going to talk about in our crossover chamber. But it's, yeah, it's been cool to see different vision of, of right. this franchise. It's almost reinvented with, it with is. each one. And, in, and this, in this one, it's Christopher McQuarrie, who has been involved in a lot of, a lot of Tom Cruise projects. Um, yeah. He wrote, or co-wrote, rather, The Edge of Tomorrow, which you just had mentioned. Um, which you and I loved. Yeah. Um, he also uh, wrote and directed uh, Jack Reacher, which was... Which the, I never saw. Um, Bill liked it a lot. I did not see it, so um, but he says good things about it. Um, but he also um, co-wrote the... Or he wrote the screenplay for The Usual Suspects, which yeah. I think was pretty pretty good. So he's got, you know, some writing chops and definitely some film chops under his belt. Um, so it, it was interesting that... It was an interesting choice for this particular installment, just given... I mean, not surprising given his, his how used to working with Tom Cruise he was, but... From a director point of view, he hasn't really done a ton in terms of like the big blockbuster stuff. 
Yeah, and this is a, a, a gigantic blockbuster. The or the franchises, at least, and the last film was quite successful. So walking into some big shoes here, and you know, I just want to one thing I want to touch back upon is the complex relationship that we as filmgoers have with Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, especially his relationship with Scientology, and there's been a... Scientology always seems to be in the media here. Uh, I think what... If you guys haven't, dear listeners, uh, listened to the Nerdist interview with Tom Cruise, it is a, a must-listen. I think it it helps to understand how much of a geek he is when it comes to making movies and the whole process of that. And I think that kind of speaks to... Uh, Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible, as this is his primary uh, film vehicle nowadays. You know, it seems like he a Mission Impossible movie comes out, he goes out, does lots of different stuff, but then comes back to this franchise. He has a lot of control in it, and it's interesting to see his geekiness and him trying to one up himself in all of these films. Um, I, I thought that was something I was looking forward to going in going into this film and. Um, with that being said, Conrad, um, I've been dying to ask you ever since we saw this film, what did you think? Um, there were definitely things I liked about this film. Um, uh, there were certain stunts that were pretty incredible, um, particularly in the first action sequence that we saw in this film when he is introduced to the, the, the other main person in this film. Um, this is a character named uh, Ilsa Faust, and she is um, her, the actress who plays this particular role Rebecca is named Ferguson. Rebecca yeah. Ferguson, yeah. and she is incredible. And she hasn't done a ton of the the big films. This this is what is her first major film, I would say, in terms of like the kind of exposure. This is definitely a temple film. Um, and she is awesome. And the tension between them, the stunts um, in this particular action se- sequence are great. Um, and I do like her throughout the film and I like their chemistry throughout the film. But I, I have to tell you, overall, I did not feel like this was a strong installment in the franchise. Um, I felt like the it almost felt like a parody of a Mission Impossible film or just sort of like <laughs> a very tropey, like formulaic um, Mission Impossible installment. And I don't know exactly why I felt that way. And there were parts that I truly enjoyed. Um, but and, and we'll get into this, I guess, in the crossover chamber. But compared to the last installment, I felt it felt a little flat to me. Yeah, you know, the... Um my my feelings about this is uh, I, I had a good time. The set pieces were were a lot of fun. Uh, it did feel very laggy when it got mm-hmm. into the plot stuff, and this is kind of one reason why I didn't really want to talk about the plot at all because it it's just so. I don't want to say it's dumb, but it's just, uh, it's not, there's not much of it. It's Agreed. a pretty basic story. It's like um, Tom Cruise is in a situation of peril. Uh, his actions will either save the world or his inaction will lead to its destruction. And um, he has a team of people who help him out. And he goes through these impossible situations. That's kind of the, the, 
you know, I mean, but that's all. The plot is always the same for all these Mission Impossible films. You take that, you insert a MacGuffin, the MacGuffin changes. Sometimes it's a USB drive. Sometimes it's like bioweapons. Sometimes it's a mole. Sometimes it's whatever it was in the last film. I don't remember. But the, 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 these films are really memorable for how you feel. And I enjoyed the set pieces, but I thought there was a lot of laggy parts. And uh, so I like Rebecca Ferguson's character a lot, too. I think she is a standout here. Um, the rest of the team is great, too. Simon Pegg had a lot more to do here. His character of Benji had a lot to do. Um, I've, got, I've got some criticisms overall. Um, and so, like, let's get into some of that. Can we, can we talk a little bit about her character a little bit more, Rebecca Ferguson's character, because I'm kind of tired of saying this, Conrad, and you probably know where I'm going to go here, but um, here we have again um, a film that's got like one female character, uh-huh. basically. Right? And she's so, white. And she's, <laughs> she's white. And British. Um, she's, she's, she's a Swedish person playing a British person, so there's, you know, it's a little international in that sense. But the thing that pissed me off the most, um, and like... This didn't have to happen. But again, the way I talked about this last, I think, in Mad Max, the way the camera hugged and sexualized her body annoyed me a lot because it doesn't treat any male character the same way. So here we have, again, a director that is sexualizing the female character um, without really doing that to any other male character. And that... Like in a film, especially that only has one female character. Now she's awesome. She's like the best part of this whole I, film. I don't agree with you. I feel like it does do the same thing with Tom Cruise, with all of his running scenes and with like his like. And quite frankly, a man at his age should not look like he's looking. It's kind oh, of, he looks it's amazing. kind of creepy. Um, but I do think they do the same thing with him, and I think they do the same thing in these films that they do in James Bond. I'm not saying that's correct, but if you're talking about it being the American James Bond. That's what they do. It's tropey. Um, I don't agree with it, but it's what I think they do exactly the same thing they do to him that they do to her, but just well, in a different way. I mean, he had his shirt off in one scene, but the camera didn't kind of zoom in on his chest for a scene, whereas we see um, her legs are highly sexualized. Her back is is sexualized. She's walking in a bikini in a kind of slow motion a little bit. It just felt like... Yeah, but you know what? She's also a very, like, she is a very fit, but a very realistic looking woman. Which I think to what we're used to in Hollywood, uh, I would. Well, what I'm saying, what you normally see, um, she does look like somebody I believe would be able to do the things that she's doing. Um, And she takes her heels off, thankfully. Um, (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) like I, I hear what you're saying, but I also feel like as a spy, she is playing a role. So when she's going to the opera, she's dressed up. As she is because she is playing a role because she's a spy. Um, But she's equally comfortable in getting into a wetsuit and being able to go and rescue Tom Cruise's butt um, at a different point. So that is absolutely true that this is a character with agency. Um, Every time she was on screen, the movie became so much more interesting. She's a really great actress. She's a great character. Um, it would have been nice to have more more ladies uh, in this uh, yeah, cast. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, honestly, like, 
I I actually felt like their use of Simon Pegg and Alec Baldwin and Ben Rames, like, uh, like just felt a little boring to me. It I was. mean, I just well, I, I disagree and I love and I love I mean, Simon Pegg and I and I'm glad he had a little bit more of an active role and you got to see a little bit of an interplay between him and the Ethan Hunt character. And we saw some of that in Ghost Protocol. But I just feel like they it just felt tired to me. Um, and I don't know why. Like, it just it didn't feel as fresh. Where, that's where things lagged a lot. And and those are a, a lot of the scenes, especially those involving uh, Jeremy Renner's. Yeah, character. it was terrible, and I was just sort of like, "What?" And and you know, you kind of go through the whole. And and again, we're not spoiling, but it just it just felt very tired, tired to me. And and I was bored. Well, you know what really didn't work for me, Conrad, was Alec Baldwin's character. No, it so didn't. He's, you know, this actor who is very liberal and known for playing comedy uh, or known for doing comedy and last seen really on, on 30 Rock is playing a very conservative head of the CIA who um, is not comedic at all, is very serious. Uh, and that didn't really work for me. The one time when Alec Baldwin's character works is when uh, it's it's really this great moment of comedy, uh, the living manifestation of destiny. Yeah, yeah, that was the that, best moment. That was the best moment. That was great. But otherwise, I was like, Alec Baldwin, you don't fit in this character at no. all. It um, and then Luther didn't really have much to do. No. The one character that we've seen since the first uh, Mission Impossible film, Beyond Ethan Hunt. He really didn't have much to do. They so, kind of had him in the background a lot. And then, you know, and again, diversity, not really here in this sure. film at all. And then I have to tell you, the villain I just found annoying. And I <laughs> honestly, I was just like, oh, my God, I hope they catch this guy. Because not because he's scary, just because he's so annoying. Oh, and, oh my God. Right. Like it just yeah. it was just like, oh, for the love. Like, just just get rid of this guy. Like he's so like and I also felt kind of like. Uh, and this is because I think um, Ilsa Faust um, was so formidable. I didn't really buy the fact that she would be intimidated by him at all. No, no, you know. In so- fact, and especially like so, there's there's many scenes where this character is is just she has some amazing fight choreography, and oh, you believe uh, it, and yeah. it's great. And I was just sort of like. All right, so she's capable of doing all of this. And this super annoying guy that kind of reminded me of Saturday Night Live character played by by uh, Mike Myers, um, <laughs> i.e. Dieter. <laughs> um, like, I didn't feel like her character would have been intimidated by him. I felt like she just would have taken him out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... And honestly, same goes for, you know, the head honcho of the British intelligence. I did not find him to be intimidating at all. And that was the only thing that really annoyed me with her character. It's kind of like, yeah, I don't I I am not buying the fact that this particular like woman would be at all intimidated by any of these people. There's a lot of reasons why that villain doesn't work. Uh, Sean Harris plays this leader of the syndicate. I th- one of the problems is um, we don't really see him or care, get any reason to care until pretty late in, in the film. He's glimpsed a little bit earlier on, but um, the character isn't really built or developed. And 
any film that has a, a strong villain, we need to actually care about him or her for, for some reason, and we just don't hear. Uh, AV Club had a really great line. They described him as, um, he's like Steve Jobs as played by Hannibal Lecter. And eh, kind of. <laughs> not like in a good way. <laughs> so, no, I, I agree with you. The villain didn't really matter much. I, I would have preferred the main villain to be Ilsa Fa- Faust um, and her character. The, her character is really where the film worked. And some of the ways in which it worked for me, there's a wonderful set piece at the Vienna Opera House. Um, I don't know if this this one worked for you, Conrad. But no, it, I love that. And actually, the other thing I was going to mention, which I thought you might mention, is the score. Oh, um, the score was good. And the fact that they're using um, the that beautiful uh, that beautiful piece throughout, like that sort of little like dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun. no, yeah. not that the other the piece from the opera. Oh, um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was fantastic. Oh, my gosh. That was great. And how the action was really timed to that. It was it was nice. And that's where this film was uh, weaving in a little bit of Hitchcock, a little suspense. You know, that whole idea that you know what's going to happen and you're, you're seeing it unfold. The whole idea that there's a, a dinner table or a, a, a group of people having dinner and there's a bomb beneath the table and you know it's going to go off. But um, you're just kind of waiting for those events to unfold. That kind of stuff is happening in that Vienna Opera House. And that whole sequence is nice and there's a lot of control and restraint shown at, from the director's perspective. And I loved that. Um Another thing I really love, speaking of the set pieces, is this film is heavily advertising the uh, the stunt involving the Airbus A400M, um, which for those of you who haven't heard about this yet, but Tom Cruise basically st- was strapped to this airplane and the airplane took off and it's all filmed and it's all real. It's not CG. But um, th- you think that's going to be something that plays out very, like, later into the film, like in the climax or anything, but it happens much sooner than you expect. And then the film kind of just like moves very quick, quickly beyond that. I, I really liked that. Um, I was, you know, a lot of times when films show off big scenes like that in trailers and commercials, it upsets me because it's like, oh, I don't want to know that happens. That's exciting. Right. Um, but this film did that. But then it happens so quickly and there's so much more to come that hasn't been shown in uh, commercials or trailers. And I like that. There, there's a really nice underwater scene as well that gets to some of the heisty stuff. And I, I don't think it ranks up there with the best heist scenes, but it was still a ton of fun. Um, and I'll say my one of my favorite things, Conrad, they brought back motorcycles. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. They're, that chase was ridiculously awesome. Loved it. No, I loved it definitely was. To end. Um, so the the action is great. You know, I loved that it was. Uh, it felt much more international. Um, that we were going in different parts of the world. And it, I, did the rogue nationy kind of stuff work for you? Because it, in theory, it kind of worked for me because we've got 
these rogue states. There's things like ISIS out there, and uh, IMF is sort of being blamed for crossing the line, which is kind of a thing right now, given what's wh- what's happened in the United States over the last few years. There's a lot of criticism about domestic spying, things like that. Um, those things I thought could have worked, but overall in the plot, I thought it was kind of like, meh. All right. I, I'd agree with you. I think you and I are on the same page on this. Um, when I'm realizing how cozy the seats were that we were sitting on, instead of paying attention to the film, that's when I knew that it, parts of it were not as successful as others. And, and that's where it got gets laggy, and the pacing felt very draggy. Even though the film isn't that long, it does drag up there. So, right. I mean, how how does this rank? for the summer summer movie season because mm. we're getting close to the end there's there's not much there's not much left conrad we are i mean i i don't know i i enjoyed it and i had fun with it so i don't want to seem as if i'm um like that i'm disappointed that i saw it you know what i mean like like yeah. i really i did have fun and i had fun watching it but I wasn't as impressed with it as I have been uh, with other things. So I'd say, I don't know, in my rankings... Do you like it more than Ant-Man? No, actually. Huh. So, Whoa. so yeah, I'd, I'd rank Ant-Man above it. Huh. What's above Ant-Man? Out of curiosity. Mm, I don't know. I'd have to look back to what we watched this summer. We've watched so many films. But we watched a lot. I, I think Mad Max and Inside Out are probably the standouts for me. I have not uh, yet seen Inside Out, though I've heard very good things. I think Mad Max definitely stood out just for like on a lot of levels. In, in every which way, Mad Max is the film of the summer. I think it's it's what it's contributing to the art of film is great. What it's contributing to the franchise is fantastic. Everything about it was was amazing. Um, I, I think this is. I think I had as much fun with. Mission Impossible 4 as I did with Ant-Man. Um, they're kind of both the same on the same level, um, but I'd put Jurassic World above it. So so that's kind of where I, I mean. I, I think what it comes down to is if you like Mission Impossible, um, go check this out. If you like spy kind of films, go check it out. There's some great action sequences. It's not the best, and I mean, that's probably going to take us to our crossover. Yeah, no, absolutely. So are you ready to enter? Let's open up those doors of the infinite crossover chamber. Dun 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 Conrad, what do we have in our crossover chamber? In our crossover chamber today we have Rogue Nation versus Ghost Protocol of the Mission Impossible franchises. And the question is, which is the better entry point? into the MI franchise. And I think I already know what my answer is. <laughs> I think I think we're both going to be voting uh, Ghost Protocol, I'm guessing. But here's so here's something interesting that I realized as we were prepping for this episode and this debate, Conrad. Um, you said, which is a better entry point into the Mission Impossible franchise? And what's interesting is you can enter the Mission Impossible franchise at any point, really. Mm-hmm. It kind of doesn't matter. And as we're living in this era of all these shared universes and all these endless sequels that are building upon each other, the connective tissue in the Mission Impossible franchise is is pretty limited. That's true. Uh, that's, I, I kind of, 
find that refreshing right now that uh, you can just go in and it sort of doesn't matter. It it's, sounds a little old-fashioned, but there's not that many franchises like this that exist. Maybe James Bond, but even James Bond with the last few films has become much more interwoven. That's true. So then with there's that the, being... And there's the underlying storyline, and I think that that's in some ways a strength, quite honestly. Um, because I do think that it's sometimes tough to tie those narratives together well. And sometimes we've yeah. seen that, especially in some of the, you know, the, the MCU. Yeah. Um, and also in the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah. Um, every once in a while, it just becomes a little bit thin and difficult and unwieldy. And then they have to do some things that make absolutely no sense. Or <laughs> there's a lot of contradictions. So I actually kind of like the fact that you could pretty much watch any of these and be okay. Yeah, um, yeah. And still enjoy everything. And there are, I'm not saying that there are no storylines because there are definitely some things that you, you know, you have a little bit of a chuckle and they're, they, they're a bit meta about. But I definitely think that if this just came on, that is a strength because anybody could watch this and then be like, oh, wait, there's five, there's four other films. I'm going to go watch those, you know, so. Yep. Yep. No, and I mean, there's there's some mention in Rogue Nation of the events in Ghost Protocol, but it, it happens really quickly and it right. really doesn't matter. So uh, Ghost Protocol, uh, a film that uh, came out about four years ago. I mean, this is a very fast turnaround time to Rogue Nation um, real quick. Um, but Ghost Protocol was a film directed by the great... Brad Bird, um, who we've talked about before with Iron Giant and The Incredibles. Uh, Conrad, what did you think of Ghost Protocol? Um, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought that the different places that they went um, were were really good. Um, I really enjoyed that film a lot. Um, and I feel like I even may have seen it twice. Yeah, uh, it, like it yeah. was a really beautiful film, and I feel like Brad Bird gets it and truly excelled, especially at the visuals of that. Um, I thought that there were so many pieces of that that were so fast moving. I did not feel like it was draggy, um, and I, I just really thought it was it was a an excellent addition. And that was his first live action um, yeah. debut, right? As a director, yeah. like he'd only done animation up until then. And I think people were a little like, Oh, I don't know how this is going to go. And <laughs> I really thought it was, was a great installment. In fact, I think it may, in, in my opinion, I think it's one of the strongest installments in that franchise. Um, so from my point of view, there's no, really no question. I think that that hits you, hits you hard. Um, and I like I did not feel some of the sort of laziness that I was perceiving in the latest installment in Rogue Nation. I loved, loved Ghost Protocol. Uh, I wasn't expecting big things from it. For some reason, I just didn't really see much of the marketing. And uh, I was a little yeah, I was a little miffed that Brad Bird was making a live action film as well. But all that being said, the film was amazing and it is such a it's such a, a nonstop action ride. Uh, it in some ways feels like 
Mad Max, not to the degree that Mad Max Fury Road is a nonstop, like three action sequences. But Ghost Protocol felt like that. Like it was set piece after set piece after set piece, all that served the overall storyline. And it was just a ton of fun. It had a little bit of connective tissue as well with the previous film. I liked that. It introduced Jeremy Renner's character, who I thought would be fleshed out more in Rogue Nation, which was not did not happen nope. uh <laughs> not and in all. fact i feel they used him so horribly in this it was just, oh, yeah. it was a disappointment yeah no it, it kind of felt like hawkeye in the avengers like he had nothing really to do he's just kind of there um ghost protocol is a really great film and yeah you're right it felt um felt big it felt international they're really great memorable set piece Conrad with uh, Tom Cruise walking on the Burj uh, Khalifa. I loved that he filmed that himself. And, or not, he didn't film it himself. He performed that action sequence himself. And I still remember when I saw that film in IMAX, and that's another big difference here, that Ghost Protocol had like 29 sequences yep. that were filmed in native IMAX format. So when you mm-hmm. saw it on IMAX screen, it filled up that whole square aspect ratio, which is not true of Rogue Nation. It has zero scenes filmed in IMAX, even though it's being broadcast in IMAX, and, but it still has that rectangular format. Anyways, when the camera first kind of comes out, of the world's tallest structure there, the world's tallest building. I I don't have a fear of heights, but I... I got vertigo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was so scared. I was so scared. Like, and like you know that, that feeling when you're, like, if you're... You, well, I don't know, because some people who are not afraid of heights probably don't have this. But I have this thing where, like, my my palms, like, just kind of sweat. And yeah. then I have this need to get as close to the ground as possible, which I did not actually do while watching this film. But <laughs> I was very tempted to do that. Oh, yeah. And there were no moments like that in Rogue Nation for me. Well, no, no, there were not. And there was one moment where I sort of ducked. Um, and that's during the heist sequence a little bit. Um, but it didn't get my my heart racing as much as uh, Rogue Nation. Uh, I'm sorry, as uh, as Ghost Protocol. Uh, I will say, though, Ghost Protocol, I can't tell you anything about the story. All I know is it, the climax <laughs> sort of happens in a parking structure in India. I remember that. <laughs> but I don't remember anything really about the story except, you know, Well, they get there, and then there's some M&Ms that are, like, attached to a rocket. No, that's something else. (laughs) Anyway. Wrong wrong story. Wrong story. Uh, Anyhow. But, yeah, I mean, they have to initiate Ghost Protocol, so, uh uh-oh. And in this one, they they initiate, like, there's Rogue Nation, whatever. So, I mean, I feel like the the plots are very disposable here, but Ghost Protocol, definitely the better film. And, And, you know, Conrad, more than one lady person in the film when it comes to Ghost Protocol, I don't remember if it passes the Bechdel test, but I know there's at least one action sequences when the two main female leads do yep. have a fight, which was pretty cool. So, yeah, I, I don't think there, I don't have honestly many complaints about Ghost Protocol, period. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed that film. I saw it twice too, I think, in a movie theater. So, there we go, Conrad. I think. I think it's unanimous. (laughs) Yeah, it's unanimous. Um, So, dear nerdlings, let us know what you think of Rogue Nation versus Ghost Protocol. And with that, we're closing up the doors.
bum, 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 of the infinite crossover chamber. Do-do-do. Do-do-do. Gosh, I love that theme song so I know. It's pretty good. So good. That's what I'll say about these Mission Impossible movies. Just seeing Ethan Hunt do something awesome and then hear that score play is like one of the greatest moments of... Uh, of cinema, much like seeing James Bond do something awesome, and then his his uh, scores, so good, so good. Anyways, Conrad, before <laughs> I switch this over to Super Fantastic Music Hour, what are we talking about in our top five today? Uh, today we are talking about top five rogues. There were a lot of honorable mentions here. It was tough to keep those to five. Uh, how do you how do you define rogue in your in your mind? Because rogue can sometimes be considered a good thing, and sometimes it can be considered an evilly thing. Um, generally, I a rogue is somebody that it's a little bit of a it can be a little bit of an antihero to some extent. <laughs> but okay, you can yeah. also, but typically they're charming and playful, and even though they're uh, capable of doing bad things, you kind of like them anyway. They're super charming. That's so, how I. Do- it. So I, I I agree with you. They're like scoundrels who break rules and do their own things sometimes. But I kind of focused in on characters that were likable, and I really enjoyed them being roguey. Right. Um, so what's your number five? Uh, so n- my number five is Rogue from X. No, no, it's not. <laughs> I uh, was wondering if that would happen. No, but it is. She's really not much of a. She's rogue. not a rogue, even though she's called Rogue. So yeah. you know, she gets the name, but not really the the attitude. Mystique um, is more of a rogue, I would say. Yeah, I, I'd say Mystique is more of a rogue. Um, my number five is Sawyer from Lost. Oh my gosh! Honorable mention for me. Yeah, because Sawyer is a character like. You you really know that you shouldn't like him because he does these like terrible things, but he's yeah. also kind of adorable. He's got a good heart. Eventually, he does right, but yeah. sometimes. But it, it, he always it, you like. There's this thing about him that's very charming and likable. He's so, also always dropping these massive pop culture references yes. left and right, which I love. Yep, and he's also always reading a book, which yeah. I also yeah. love. So of course, I love Sawyer. And he chose the name Sawyer. Right, right. Um, once you find out his backstory, that's great. Yeah, good pick. Uh, my number five comes from Star Wars, and it is not who you'd think. And I didn't choose that person because everyone chooses that person. Yeah, he's in my honorable mentions. Of course he is. Of course he is. And we all love him. But I also love Lando called Rizian. Oh, he's he a rogue. He is a rogue, right? And what's cool about um, Lando called Rizian, we all know his story from Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. But he had a really great episode in Star Wars Rebels, um, and Billy D. Uh, Billy D. Williams, uh, re- um, not renewed, renewed, renewed his role, reprised. He reprised his role in Star Wars Rebels, and he's very roguey in that episode. So I really like that character. I hope we get to see this character again at some point in the sequel trilogy. So uh, Lando is my number five. Cool. Um, what's your number four? four? Oh, I'll give you my number four, Conrad. It is Captain Jack Sparrow um, coming at you from Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. And um, again, I I think I've talked about that was uh, that was like my number three. Oh, cool. There we go. Well, we both really like this character. Uh, We've talked about pirates before, and you and I both really like that original and have less positive feelings about the sequels. But he's just, you know, pirates are actually like 
really bad scoundrels. They're like historical pirates are like a bad thing. Modern day pirates, a bad thing. Like pirates do bad things. But Captain Jack Sparrow in this Disney pirate is a total lovable rogue and Mm -hmm. often doing wacky, wild things. Uh, Why is he your number three? Um, he was my, my number three just because the minute I thought of the word rogue, his face popped into my head. Yeah, so I figured yeah. he needed to be a little higher up on the list. Um, so. No, that's cool. There he so, is. So who's your number four then? Um, my number four was, um, Shane McGowan from the Pokes. <laughs> From the what? <laughs> the Pogues. He is the lead singer of the Pogues. Oh. <laughs> now, Shane McGowan has some, some, you know, some drinking issues and things like that. But he is constantly doing these things. And it's even though, you know, he has these problems and he's a bit self-destructive, you kind of like him anyway. So I threw a real life person in there. Not a, it's been a while since we had a musical person in the top five. So uh, good pick. Conrad. My number three is something that I often talk about. It comes from Star Trek. It is Quark. From oh, that's Star pretty Trek good one. Space Nine. Yeah, right. Would so, you really call him a rogue? Hmm. Yes. He breaks rules. He is involved in... Um, in bringing illegal substances onto Deep Space Nine. He has stolen money from other people, cheated and backstabbed people. But at the same time, he has uh, fought against the Dominion, done stuff in secret that supports the Federation. And he's he's a complicated character. Would you call him a rogue or more of a scalawag? He's... he's, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in the Van Venn diagram, he would definitely qualify for both as, both a scalawag as well as uh, at times he can be a rogue. I mean, look, this guy left uh, Ferenginar. Like he is not. He, he took up this bar in this frontier area, and granted, it's probably because he was kind of broke, didn't have that much money. But he kind of does things a little bit differently than the rest of the Ferengi. I think Quark's mom is even more of a rogue because she wants to wear clothing and she wants to create more uh, rights for women to own businesses and stuff. So uh, Quark's mom, Hmm. much more of a rogue than he is. Maybe I should have picked her. Maybe. uh, Yeah, but I like Quark and I like the Ferengi in Deep Space Nine. That's my number three. Your number three was Jack Sparrow. So that takes us to number two. Conrad, what do you have for your number two? Oh, my number two was yet another Jack. Jack Harkness from Doctor Who. Of course, of course. And Torchwood, of course. Uh, So why does he belong on your list? Um, Because Jack Harkness has always been a very interesting character. He has, he's not always nice. He does some things that you don't agree with. He always keeps people on their toes and he is always seducing everything in sight. Um, (laughs) Man, woman, alien, germ. That's just how he is. (laughs) Plus he wears that super cool coat. Um, And there's just something about him, even from the moment he was introduced um, in, uh, was he introduced season, season one? Yeah. Season two? Season two. Bill is yelling at me. Conrad, I believe it's, Series two. Sorry, series two. Um, and I know it was the the London um weird creepy um the the weird super creepy one with the kid with the gas mask. Mm. 
So in any case, um, but from the moment he's introduced, he's absolutely a rogue. Um, and you always want to see more of him on screen. So I had to throw him in the lineup. You know, I really want to see him hanging out with Captain Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly. Which would be my number one. Oh, <laughs> boom, number one. Why is he your number one, Conrad? Because he's freaking Malcolm Reynolds. He's awesome. He he is somebody that ha- has definitely has his own code of ethics. He has a great deal of loyalty to his team. And he does try to do the right things generally, but he will do wrong things in order to get there. So, yes. you know, yeah. it's... it's Which it, is a very roguey thing to do. It is a super roguey. Plus, he is massively charming, hilarious, and also a little bit like of a lout at times and and totally awkward depending on the situation. So, <laughs> um, which is not necessarily a roguish character, but, you know. It's an endearing character. It is, and he has a bit of swagger. We all miss the space cowboy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, good pick. Uh, he was an honorable mention for me, and my number two is uh, Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica's Starbuck. Hmm. So she's definitely a rogue. Not only is she awesome and one of the best fighter viper pilots in the whole fleet but she breaks a rule she does what she wants to when she gets pissed off at colonel ty she punches him in the face she smokes cigars when she wants to she kind of um has her own way with things and her roguiness ends up being a really major theme throughout um that show and actually takes the show to its final act. So uh, my number two was Battlestar Galactica Starbuck. Love that character. Um, number one for me is a real person. I, I felt like I should have at least one real person, but also a fictional character from Catch Me If You Can, Frank Abigail Jr. Mm, nice one. Uh, yeah, right. Like I, I really like that film, Catch Me If You Can. A lot of fun. And so this is an, a, the real-life story of an individual who was a con man and an amazing con man, probably one of the best. And when I say con man, it's not just the preferred abbreviation of H.A. Conrad and Bill <laughs> Wadman. It is uh, someone who was breaking the rules to for their own advantage and, and uh, lying and cheating and swindling others um, to great success, but then got caught, did his time, and then started to work uh, for the light side of the force and trying to help prevent other people from doing exactly what he did. So uh, that is my number one. Um, any honorable mentions on your end? Yeah, huh? I had a few. Uh, actually, Indiana Jones and Han Solo, both played by Harrison Ford, were on the list. Oh, he's so um, good at playing Spike uh, from Buffy, but I've talked about him so much that I just felt like I had to put him on the honorable mentions. And, of course, Wesley from The Princess Bride. Oh, man, I thought you were going to say Wesley from Star Trek The Next Generation. I was like, I don't think Not he's quite a rogue. No, no, no. He's quite the opposite. Um, so you already mentioned many of my honorable mentions. Uh, Captain Malcolm Reynolds, Sawyer from Lost. Um, the only one that neither of us mentioned that is on my honorable mention is Robin Hood. Oh, nice. Right, That's like, a good one. Yeah, right. He kind of has to be on this list. Um, so dear <laughs> listeners, let us think. Uh, or let us think. <laughs> yes, Conrad, let us think. it is the end of the week. Tis. Matu over here is tired. Let us know uh, <laughs> what are your favorite rogues from 
TV, film, literature. And uh, you can contact us at Nerd Hour. We have a website over at nerdhour.com. And you can also email us at info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Conrad, where can people find more of your lovely work this week? On the Twitters, I am Die Prince. And on my other podcast about undead slash dead things, reanimated with my buddy Stuart Tiffin, it's reanimatedpodcast.com. And on Twitter, it is reanimatedpcast. Very nice. I am too on Twitter. You can find me at Alima too. That's one I's, two T's, and, and a U. Are uh, you sure? <laughs> um, I, I think so. Um, just remember it rhymes with how are you. That, that'll help you out there. And I have a website. It is brainknowsbetter.com. That's where I write about the psychology of science fiction. And last but not least, I have a YouTube channel called The Psych Show. Uh, if you go to thepsychshow.com, it just makes psychology fun and easy to understand. Conrad, I have no idea what we're talking about next week. But it'll sure be fun, whatever it is. (laughs) And probably nerdy. So until then, Conrad, live long and prosper. Indeed.